Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And what is up? Welcome in GC Live Monday episode of the show. Here he is, Clark West Mitchell here. This is GC Live Gamecock Central Live. Plenty to get to. Chris, uh, women's basketball officially to the Final Four with a big victory on Friday. And then, of course, Sunday night, Gamecocks punching their ticket. Uh, They'll find out exactly what the rest of the Final Four is going to look like for them later on today. Uh, spring football carries on as always. That's sort of the um, our our I would say not not a whole lot n- new there necessarily, but always something we can talk about and something we want to talk about in every single show. I would say recruiting rolls on. Men's basketball hire actually um, was official right before our last show. We did that with Colin, but Chris, I've not talked to you about that, and we've not talked about the press conference yet either so plenty to get to plenty to talk about but first we got to tell you about our good buddy clint hammond of the mortgage network clinthammond.com is where you can find him if you're paying attention those interest rates are going up if if you're in the market to buy a house might again not an expert but might be a time to go ahead and uh, and try to make that happen nmls number 71597 again i'm not an expert but clint is and he can help walk you through that process and uh, find out what makes sense and what works for you. Chris, what's up, man? Man, a lot. Busy day. A lot going on in Gamecock country. Um, You hit on all the things, so I'm not going to just repeat them, but I'm looking forward to jumping in. Got a chance to watch um, a few different things over the weekend, obviously. Gamecock baseball, big series win over Vandy. I got to catch some of that. And I caught uh, the entire women's basketball game last night, which is a minor miracle given how busy we've been, but I did get to catch that. And then, of course, a lot of activity on the basketball front. A lot left to shake out, but a lot of things going on. And, um, of course, keeping our ear to the ground and working some different things on on football spring practice and recruiting because all that that going on simultaneously. Some prospects on campus this past weekend. Practice rolled on this past weekend. So – uh, tons going on in Gamecock country, which definitely always makes it fun around here. Wow, ter- terrible host here, man, and, and just tells you how um, how much is going on. And the fact there wasn't a Sunday baseball game, it feels like it was yep. a week ago it does. That, uh, th- that that series was over. But anytime you beat the number four team in the country, two out of three, and it being Vanderbilt, just look, you know, I would say recently one of the most consistent programs in the country in baseball and considering what it was like going into that series, man, and, and the way the Thursday game was, South Carolina just getting crushed by Vanderbilt on Thursday. That game gets away from them. 
they bounce back, not only win the Will, what I always call the Will Sanders game, because I think you go into each each series, and I'm not just saying this because he's a Garnet Trust athlete, each series you go into, Chris, I always say, well, they got to win the Will Sanders game, and then they'll have a chance because it's just that different when he is on the mound. But they not only win that when they win the game three, normally your Sunday game, your Saturday game as well, uh, shows some resilience, not just from a big picture standpoint, but within that game as well. They were down, I think, two to nothing, maybe three to nothing. They were down five to two. I know that. And Chris, they went down, and, and I hadn't planned on starting with this, but while we're on it, let's go ahead and hit it. They go down five to two in that game, and it was on. I mean, it was just one of those baseball plays where you just say that that's baseball. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, but it was it was it was three to two Vanderbilt. And it felt like South Carolina had some momentum. Vanderbilt had two runners on. There were two outs and I think two strikes. And the Vandy kid just sticks his bat out there, pokes it, and it it dinks past um, Braswell at short for a two RBI, two out, two strike hit. And all of a sudden it's 5-2. And you're just saying, how, how well, unlucky can you be? Yeah, you're already fighting from behind, but how lucky, how unlucky can you be? And then what happens? They they keep battling, keep fighting back. Some really good at bats. Uh, Braylon Wimmer has a fantastic game. Uh, put the team on his back offensively. But then there were some other really good at bats too, where guys, you know, I think they're they're slowly trying to get out of this whole swing for the fences mindset. Much more of a um, all fields approach, put the ball in play approach. It, you know, and then of course, uh, bash when you can, which we saw Wimmer do. But, um, l- let's, I- I'm glad you brought that up, man, because l- let's not forget how big of a series victory this is for South Carolina because the schedule you've, you've run through the gauntlet and you, you kind of survived. Like you, you took some punches. I'm not, I'm yeah. not saying you're like, like you're you're not at a hundred percent, right? But you you survived to the end. Now it does it does let up a little bit. It never completely lets up, right? But it does let up a little bit. Yeah, and I mean it's a tough team to figure out. And I think there was um, a lot of different emotions that I think Game Cognition kind of had and and displayed after this weekend. It was you know joy and happiness from beating Vanderbilt, number four team. There was almost a sense of relief, right? Of winning a series, winning a game, you know, even going back to Friday, winning a game, and then you go win the series. Also some frustration, some confusion of, you know, how do you beat at the time, number one, Texas, what are they, number two, they're still top five, whatever. Um, you, be, you beat those guys in the series. You beat Andy at home in a series, who's an, a, an excellent ball club, but you, you lose to the Citadel and walk off. You get swept by Clemson. You also look now that you're coming out of this gauntlet, which is what you called it, Wes. That's exactly, I think, what Mark Kingston called it. And you realize that we knew Tennessee was good, right? They may be amazing. They just swept Ole Miss, I think, on the road, right? Uh, Ole Miss was number one, not any longer, because Tennessee just swept them. Uh, They are really, really good, okay? So, um, and look, you, you know, in baseball, you lose some series, maybe even get swept in some series. That doesn't mean this team's figured it out because they clearly haven't. But being able to salvage 
a couple of series like they have in this stretch against really, really good opponents is important. And, you know, it, it is still a long season. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to make up all the ground that they need to in the conference and just overall. But you do look at it and say, okay, this team's at least capable of playing like they have. And you also look at it and you say, this team has dealt with some stuff that's been pretty difficult. You know, you look at the injury front, pitching, gone through some tough stretches and hitting. Can they put it together? Maybe so. But it's definitely been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance for the baseball team this year. Yeah, it certainly has. And I I think people are saying why. They're saying how, I guess, is probably the better question. How does it happen like that? And I would say, man, as as much as it has been that, and, you know, I think the big thing is when you look at just like, like last week against Tennessee, just not being able to put together anything offensively. Um, you know, they, they bounced back and, and had a pretty good week at the plate or a pretty good at least two days at the plate against Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt did lose their two superstar pitchers from last year. But still, Vandy recruits as well as anybody in the country as far as pitching goes. Um, so I will say this. I think a lot, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it can be explained away, Chris, in my opinion, in that we like to compare various sports, right? Well, in in, in football, you know, you, you have you have your offense and you have your defense, unless there are injuries, if you play from week to week, for the most part, the same guys are going to be out there. Um, you know, in, in basketball, for the most part, you're gonna have your same five starters and you know, and in basketball, they're they're going to play offense and defense, unlike, you know, football. Well, baseball is the only sport where the most important guy on the field a lot of days, at least for you defensively, is a different person, uh, your pitcher, from game to game. And then even within the game, it would be like if you played, if you by design played one quarterback against one team, and then played them again and played a different quarterback. And then the next time you played them, both teams had to play their third quarterback, you know? So it completely changes the entire course of the game. So, yes, we like to think of it from a broad, like, oh, how can they be so inconsistent? Well, when you have a lack of pitching depth and then you're hit by the injuries you are, um, to me, that explains away some of it. Like, it's not really that much of a surprise that they have – you know, some games they're they're already starting a guy. Their Friday guy, Chris, wasn't even going to be a starter this year. Um, so the fact that you get blown out, guess what? Once you're down to Vanderbilt in game one, you're not going to wait. If you have limited pitchers, you're not going to waste your your best relievers when you're already down three or four runs. So it exponentially it gets away from you. But you'll actually take a ten to nothing loss on Friday, in order to save your juice for Saturday, or in this case Thursday and Friday. Y'all, y'all know what I mean. Game one, game two. So in baseball, I think it, it's not really comparable to other sports, in my opinion, as far well, as consistency of performance. And and wasn't it on the Thursday game? I mean Noah Hall. I mean everybody ended up obviously getting knocked around ten nothing. But I mean, didn't he have a no no going through like? Four, four or five in very, very good through four or five. Very yes. good through four or five. And it kind of goes back to what Mark Kingston said is they're having to kind of ask some, or not kind of, they are. <laughs> they're having to ask some guys to go an inning longer. 
few batters longer than they're accustomed to. And I know people have the, well, who cares, recruit more guys anyway type of thing. And and I get that. Ultimately, it's a results-oriented business. And I will, I will still qualify everything we're saying with the fact that if it gets to the years, end of the year, and the results aren't good enough, it may get interesting around here, right? We we all know that, but you can also be nuanced and and understand where South Carolina's at, what has happened, where they're at. Several disappointments: getting whooped by Xavier, getting swept by Clemson, right? Losing to the Citadel on a walk off. And then you contrast you contrast that to beating two top four teams in in Vanderbilt and Texas. From here, you know you got a midweeker at PC. Like you said, Wes, it does let up a little bit. You know, as much as you can let up in college baseball, you go at Missouri, you play Georgia, Ole Miss comes to town, the former probably former number one team. But there's still a lot of really good teams on this schedule, but still a chance for the Gamecocks to make up some ground and and get back to more, you know, respectability. They're 12 and 11. They're two and four in the conference in this gauntlet of a conference. Two and four does not mean that you're dead uh, by any means. No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, the, the big thing there too, Chris, is that by getting a few um, just marquee wins, that do, if, if you're on the, the, the bubble later on, you, you do have some wins you can point to. Now you're going to have – there's going to be a couple of tough losses in there that nobody wants to uh, re-experience and look back on. But, hey, if you, if you have wins, series wins, so two wins over what was then number one and two wins over what was then number four, um, that's going to hold up pretty well when they're looking at those resumes just from a mathematical standpoint later on as well. And now you honestly, you hope that, you hope Texas, uh, you know, Texas has lost some games since that. You hope Texas sort of gets it going, and you hope Vanderbilt bounces back and keeps winning so that those wins can kind of hold up down the stretch. But, again, there were a lot of people who were sitting there after last week saying South Carolina, and certainly some people after Thursday, Chris, who were probably saying they might start 0-6 in the SEC. And if you're 0-6, then that, I dare say, is a hole you are not digging out of, no matter how well you start playing. You could end up being a really good baseball team, but the – you're, you're just so far behind and playing in such a good conference. Even if you played well and just went 500 the rest of the way, you're not you're not digging out. Two and four, you can make a respectable finish to the season because you were able to, I would say, tread water is the best way to put it, um, and, and kept going. So, again, we actually talked much longer on that than we even planned. But, again, there's, there's so much going on right now. There's a ton of stuff going on in the world of Gamecock sports. And nothing bigger than Dawn Staley and South Carolina women's basketball going to a second straight Final Four. Um, Mike Yuva actually, it appears, will be joining us here shortly to talk a little bit about it because he was in Greensboro for both games for South Carolina's win over North Carolina and then their dominant 80-50 to victory on Sunday night over Creighton. Chris, you watched the game. Your initial thoughts? Well, I think it was one of those scary games for South Carolina because I almost saw it as, you know, it had kind of that St. Peter's-ish potential and that, you know, St. Peter's, that amazing run, obviously a great job by those guys, players, Shaheen Holloway, their coach. But they kind of played a different style 
that I think a lot of teams in the tournament had some difficulties with. And then obviously they got hot shooting. They played together, passed the ball extremely well. Those are some of the things like taking it to, to Creighton and applying that example. You know, you watch how they play. They obviously took down some really good teams. Um, a t- what the 10 seed was Creighton. Uh, they could fill it up from outside. You watched and you even saw early in the game, South Carolina had some trouble with this in the early going, the way that Creighton cuts to the basket, you know, backdoor cuts, passing the ball, being able to shoot from three. We saw that hurt South Carolina a little bit early. They figured it out fairly quickly. And then they were able to just, I mean, Aaliyah Boston just absolutely dominant inside. Even uh, Victoria Saxton got in on the action with what they did on the boards. Um, You know, Cardoso got in there. And it was just too much to handle Boston. E- even though the double-double streak finally ended, it was still, I mean, just the scoring performance, it was amazing. They, they would have three, four players on her, and she would either still score or South Carolina would be, be able to kick the ball out somewhere else, and, and they shot better, and they played really, really good defense on Creighton and prevented them from, you know, hitting a lot of those outside shots. So, just a really dominant performance in a team that seems to be playing its best basketball here at the end of the year, which they will definitely need uh, coming up on on the, the next game and then the next game after that if they make it. Yeah, man, I thought um, if, if you're going to end a record double-double streak, um, this may have been the perfect time to end it, right? Like, it, uh, you know, not, not that any Gamecock fan wanted it to end, but if you would ask Aaliyah Boston, hey, would you like to extend your streak or would you like to go to the Final Four? She's going to choose the Final Four 10 out of 10 times. So I think, um, as Tim points out here on, uh, on Facebook, it, it does, you know, it, it's sort of, and his comment is, I'm sort of glad the double-double streak is done, less pressure. There were times, and, and I get it, it's natural because, especially when before the tournament hit, Chris, South Carolina was blowing out teams. So the, whether or not she got the double-double was like more watched than the score. So it took on a mind of its own, I feel like. And it was something that was constantly being tracked. So now I think going the, – the fact they were up big, you take her out, which was 1,000% the correct decision. The last thing you do is get a Leah Boston hurt chasing a meaningless streak when you're up by 20 plus points late in a game before you go to the final four. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the streak was awesome. It was amazing. It's going to be hard for anybody in South in the future for South Carolina, except for maybe Aaliyah Boston herself to top, but it ends, you go to the final four and it wasn't like it ended with an off performance, you know. She still no. was incredible on Friday, put the team on her back, you know, in the fourth quarter, certainly on Friday, in what was a tighter game. And then just, the you know, the entire offense was ran around her. I think a big part of it, Chris, there were, there were just less missed shots. South Carolina was yeah. having success. Um, and the way Creighton spreads you out and shoots threes, there were going to be less opportunities for her down low to get rebounds from them. And then because Carolina's making shots, there's less opportunities for offensive boards as well, as well, which ultimately is a good thing because we all know they've played some great defense, but had not been very good offensively 
leading up to uh, certainly leading up to the last couple of games. Yeah, and uh, and I totally missed. I, I tried to name, but for some reason I missed L.A. SC scout guy bringing up Letitia Ami here, and she she played excellent as well, whether it's defensively or offensively. And it, it's a great point about the long rebounds and all that stuff. They did put Aaliyah back in the game late when they were up a good bit, and it was almost kind of like, let's see if she gets a rebound here in the next thirty seconds. No, okay, let's put her, you know, right back on the bench. But um. It was, it, it was no doubt a great performance in Creighton. You know, Creighton's game plan was clearly we're going to cloud the paint and make South Carolina do something else. Well, that's a decent game plan, but South Carolina, not only did they do the something else, they also still gave it to Boston, and she said, you're not going to be able to stop me. You can put three people on me. It really doesn't matter. You know, and the, the height advantage was so apparent, the height advantage for South Carolina. Um, there were two and three people around Boston, but um, – they, it was like they were just so far below her, quite like quite literally, that there there wasn't anything that could be done on their end. Let's go out now. We're going to bring in Gamecock Central's Mike Yuva. He was on the scene there in Greensboro. Mike, um, first of all, give us your give us your big picture takeaways um, from let, let's let's say both games in general. What did you mm-hmm. what did you think of South Carolina's weekend and obviously a second straight Final Four appearance for Dawn Staley and her team. Well, I think the biggest thing was just the fact that they were able to get that confidence in their offense again, right? I mean, I think more than anything, it goes back to when you're probably even playing youth basketball, just being able to physically see the ball go through the rim. And I think they needed to be able to see that, especially after what we saw against Miami. They needed to be able to get the offense going. It's not that these players don't know how to score. It's just that they were in a little bit of a funk. But on the flip side of that, what they've been able to do defensively, it's one of the greatest performances that we've seen leading up to a Final Four. I believe it's right behind UConn. I'll pull the sad up just to make sure because, as you boys know, it was a late night last night, getting in around 4.30. So this is actually the fewest points allowed by a defense heading into the Final Four since UConn did it when they allowed 40.3 points a game. South Carolina right now is allowing 41.3. So they're pretty much right there. And it just goes to show you what they've been able to do from a defensive standpoint and how consistent they have been. Um, they allowed about just just over 51 points a game in the regular season. So they've cranked it up a notch. We've heard the cliche line. I mean, you can say it in any sport, really, right? Defense wins championships. But what we're seeing from this team right now, and especially what we saw last night, against Creighton is that they are all buckling down. It's not just one player. It's not just the Lee of Boston. It's the role players as well. It's a player like Bree Hall, uh, Bree Beal, excuse me, and what she's been able to do from a defensive standpoint, creating turnovers, just being, uh, you know, causing that chaos on the top of the key. So this team has, has really embraced their roles all season long. And I think you're seeing it right now, but I think that's the biggest thing is just seeing that you had players step up last night you know, I mentioned Beal. She's not someone that typically scores. I mean, she scored a uh, season high last night. I mean, she doesn't – she's not the one that goes out. She's she's more than capable of doing it, but that's just not what her role is. And when you have players like that going out there scoring, I mean, it's just very difficult to stop this team because they have multiple players that are capable of going off at any given time. Mike, that's what I was going to go to next. Offensively, you know, I think – Coming out of the first couple games of the NCAA tournament for this Gamecock women's team, it was their defense is incredible, right? As you said, that's continued, obviously, through the Creighton game. But it was, okay, but can they score enough, not just to get to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, to to go the distance? And we saw in this game they they answered the bell, at least against Creighton. 
what was the difference in the game? You mentioned Beal. She obviously mm-hmm. had her best offensive game, but what else did the Gamecocks do well offensively that kind of unlocked more possibilities for them? I think it goes into – you just look at just the the fact that they're just a bigger team. They're bigger. They're more physical. They're faster. The Blue Jays were just outmatched. You know, Cinderella, they they midnight struck and – their uh, their little cart turned into a pumpkin, you know, using all these cheesy lines that we always say with March Madness and Cinderella and the glass slipper. But it's the truth. I mean, what they were able to to accomplish to get to that point goes to show you that they are a good team. They're very they're very good shooting team. But the problem is they just ran into a physical machine in South Carolina. So I think more than anything. We saw what South Carolina wants to do, what their bread and butter is, which is being able to play inside out. And what I mean by that is, you know, they want to be able to go down to the post. They want to be able to use their size to their advantage. And if it's not there, kick it out. And they have some tremendous scores that can shoot from the outside. Um, It's going to only get tougher from here on out. I mean, we have to wait and see who they're going to be playing. Could be Louisville, could be Michigan. But, you know, not trying to look too far ahead. But if they are able to, to win against one of those teams and they play in the national championship, if they do go up against a team like Stanford, Stanford has a lot of size. You're not going to be able to do it the same exact way that you did it last night. So I think what you need to see from this team is that, yes, you know who you are. You know what your identity is. And your identity is just being able to go into the paint and being physical. And clearly, Green didn't have anyone to be able to slow Aaliyah Boston down and some of the other players that they had. Victoria Saxon had a phenomenal week, and I think she got snubbed from not making the all-region team this weekend. But – I think what it shows you is that they know what they want to do. They want to be able to go down there. And and what that's going to do too is, you know, Stanford's a very well-coached team. They have one of the best coaches in in women's basketball history. But people are going to know that what what South Carolina wants to do is go inside. They're going to suck on down. And eventually you're going to need your shooters to be able to make shots on the outside. So um, I think going into this game, that's what you're going to need to do regardless if we go up against Louisville or Michigan. Mike, um, th- this team has sort of had to deal, and it's a good thing, but it, 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 there's a immense amount of pressure that comes along with sort of being expected to go back to the Final Four. Um, you know, we it, it kind of – the way the South Carolina fan base uh, looks at this program now reminds me of the way Alabama football fans look at, at that program. It's if, – if you, if you win a game – by 10 and you don't really have a great game, there's a level of criticism. The expectation is just different here. And they've earned that, but it comes with a, a great deal of pressure, man. What was the vibe? What was the reaction when South Carolina, when, when it hits zero? Luckily for them, there was no pressure at the end of this game. It was well in hand. But was it kind of all smiles? Was it relief? Was it, hey, this is just one step. We've got We've got – there's two more hills to climb here. What vibe were you getting just around the program from both uh, the ladies and from Dawn Staley herself after the dub last night? Well, I think that's that's one of the things that we expect to see, right? And that was one of the reports I actually just put up right before I hopped on with you guys is that as good as times are right now for South Carolina, it wasn't that long ago that this program was – I don't even want to say a shell of itself. It was nothing. I mean, I hate to say it, it was nothing. No one really cared. 
You know, I've had conversations with Asia, Asia Wilson's dad, Roscoe, about the days when she, she he would bring Asia to games and you'd be able to just walk pretty much right up to courtside because no one was in the stands. No one was in the stands. Or the fact that you go back to as recent as 2013. Think about this. As recent as the 2013 season, South Carolina had a game scheduled at the at Colonial Life Arena. And that game got bumped for a Miranda Lambert concert. And they had to play at the Coliseum, a place that had not hosted a basketball game in 10 years. That would never fly today. That would never, ever fly today. So it just goes to show you that this program, what they've been able to do, obviously is impressive. But I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to be as real as I can be about this. It just goes to show that when you do invest in a program and you have the type of support that this fan base, the fans have shown, that women's basketball, women's sports can take that next step that so many people want to be able to see. And, you know, look, you know, from a, an equality standpoint, it's we know it's going to be tricky from a pay standpoint. That's just the reality. I mean, we could go down the list in terms of revenue and how many people are what, but it's getting better. It's getting better. And what you're seeing here in South Carolina is so freaking impressive. But like I said, to see how far this program has come, to see how far they have come just in a short period of time. I mean, you're talking about a program that their first Final Four appearance was only back in 2015. This is their fourth time they've been able to do that. And of the four, this is the first time in program history that they've gone back to back. So I, I just think it shows you that, you know, as good as South Carolina is, obviously it hasn't been this way for, for a long time, even though at times it probably feels that way. But on top of it, I don't think we're anywhere close to seeing the peak of it. I think, you know, Don Staley and where this program is right now, especially when you look at just how young and talented they are, they're not even close to hitting that peak. And you think about some of the greatest, I mean, look, bottom line is they still have work to be done. They still have to go out there. They got to be able to try to claim another national championship. But where this team is, when you try to talk about some of the greatest dynasties we've seen in women's basketball history, and of course, championships are the big, big part of that, right? You have to be able to win championships. They're creeping into those conversations. They need to be able to get this ring. And then you can really start talking about the Tennessees, the Yukons. And obviously they have a lot of work to do if they want to be able to ever get to that level. But when you just look at this foundation and just how quickly they've been able to turn this into a, a powerhouse, it's just impressive. And you just have to appreciate how far they've come in just a short period of time. Yeah. And we'll certainly have uh, more coverage on Gamecock central throughout the week leading into the final four. Gamecocks will learn their opponent tonight, 9 p.m. Louisville, a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, that game's on ESPN. Louisville versus the three-seed Michigan. Um, lo- lots of one-seeds potentially in the Final Four, which would be very, very interesting for uh, the Gamecocks. It, it will not be easy, obviously, because you're talking about some other pretty elite teams that will be waiting on you um, mm-hmm. there as well. Mike, uh, before we let you get out of here, man, we've not talked to you since – the uh, opening press conference for Lamont Paris when he was introduced last week. So uh, real quick, man, just give us your initial thoughts on a, the, the, the press conference, just your reaction and b the, um, I would say the, the challenge is a good word. The challenge ahead uh, for Lamont Paris. Well, I mean, shoot, just look at the, the challenge. I mean, that is a story in itself, right? I mean, we knew this was going to happen. You know, and this is no slide against Lamont. Um, we knew this was going to happen. You have a, like a coach, not just any coach, but, you know, you have a coach like Frank Martin that leaves 
you are going to have players into the transfer portal. The people that are on Twitter right now say, oh, we don't need them. You know, they don't want to wear the garnet in black. You know, screw them. Get a life, really. Get a life. Get a freaking life. These players, it's not the same like football. Basketball is just such a, a different sport, and you want to be able to play for a coach most of the times. You want to be able to play for a coach that you know is going to put you in a situation where you have a chance to see the court. That's not to say Lamont would have given these players a fair shot at it, but, you know, it's a new era. That's just the reality of it. So I think it's it's comical to think that some people were living under a rock to believe that players weren't going to enter the transfer portal, not just a couple players, but a decent amount. I mean, right now you're looking at six, six players. It doesn't even matter who's a walk-on and this six players. You have to fill those spots for next year on top of the guys that are already graduated too. So now you're looking at what? eight spots right now to fill. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a rebuild year. I mean, that's just the, that's just the reality of it. As far as what I thought about Paris's press conference the other day, I'm not one of these guys that get, you know, all you know, rah, rah, go, Oh, you know, they won, they won the press conference. I think that is one of the stupidest lines in sports. Oh, he won the press conference. That's great. How many national championships have coaches won because they won a press conference? Like get out of, get out of here with that crap. It was good, though. What he said and what he showed, the biggest thing that I did take away was this. His personality, you can see why he can be very good when it comes to recruiting. He's just authentic. And you talk to people that know him, um, and it really showed the way that he came across in his press conference last week. So I, I think more than anything, this is a guy that understands that he is coming into a situation where it's going to be an uphill battle, but he's going to be true to himself. He's going to be uh relentless when it comes to recruiting in the transfer portal and i think that's what a lot of fans wanted to see right i mean they wanted to see that fresh face but they wanted to see someone that can be a dog when it comes to recruiting and taking advantage of the portal and of course he had success at, at chattanooga and what they were able to do last season with over i believe about what just under half a dozen or just over a half a dozen of, of transfer players that came into chattanooga and what they were able to accomplish last season so um it's going to take time but I can definitely see this guy being someone that can win over some of the AAU coaches in the area, be able to build those relationships up, be able to keep some of that local talent here. But it's going to take time. And Don Staley said it just the other day after um, Friday night's game. She's like, Gamecock fans, you are patient. I'm, you know, paraphrasing here. You know, they're, pa they're, they're, they're passionate people, but they need to be patient. They need to be patient, and especially for a guy like Lamont Paris, because it's just not going to happen overnight. It's just not. And if it does happen overnight, fantastic. You know, let's have two parades then. I mean, but it, it's not going to happen that way, most likely. You need to be able to get guys in here that are going to be your own and be able to develop that talent and be able to develop those relationships within this community. And I think that's something that he understands and he's going to get to work work on right away. Mike, good stuff as always, man. We'll let you get back to it. Uh, we appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, there's Mike Yuva, GamecockCentral.com. Go check out all of his videos from uh, the Sweet 16 on GamecockCentral.com. He just posted another one. I've not had a chance to go check it out yet, but you can go do that right now on the front page of Gamecock Central and on the Insiders Forum. Chris, uh, I understand you got, you got a stat for us. Is that right? You uh, got a stat. Is this a... Gamecock Russ, stat of the day? It is. It indeed is. Um, it's pretty good stat, and I have to. I can't properly credit. Somebody in the Ask Chris thread on GamecockCentral.com 
shameless plug, asked me today where Aaliyah Boston's record ranked, not just in the SEC, right, but nationally. Wes, putting you on the spot. Any guesses, or have you already seen this? I I have not. Okay. Any guesses on what the record is for consecutive double-doubles in women's basketball? Just historically, what would be the number? Okay, first of all, um, I'm, I'm gonna admit I'm gonna admit that I don't know something that I, I should know. But again, I don't directly cover women's basketball for us. What what was Aaliyah's final number? Uh, was it 27, 28? Somebody okay, will so correct me in the comments. But, it was um, somewhere around there. You let, needed some let, kind let of reference player. Show you. We still have um, we still have this bad uh, boy. Very nice. We need a song for this. Game, Gamecock Russ needs to record a song for it. Like yeah, on Dan so Patrick. The, the people listening on the audio version are like, what are these idiots talking about? But those on the video version can see we still have our old graphic with our buddy Russ. Uh, stat of the week, I guess, actually. But um, so, Chris, I'm going to throw a guess out there. And I'll admit I've cheated a little bit because I've, I remember somebody telling me a long time ago when the streak really got going. And it was a number that was insane. So I think the real number or the the actual record, so you're saying all-time record for any women's basketball player, consecutive double-doubles, is like 97. That's actually a pretty good guess. The, I, I thought I did not dream it would be even that high. It is 112. 112, okay. And it was I, pretty recent. Courtney Paris, no relation that I know of to Lamont Paris, from Oklahoma in 2005 to 2009. Well, she had 33 straight in one season, so that's a record in one season, and then consecutively – had 112 straight double-doubles. Oklahoma, Courtney Paris. Blew my mind. I it blew my mind when you said the numbers 2005 to 2009. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, I expected, um, I expected it to be somebody that went to a smaller school, smaller conference, yep. and just probably was completely Wait. under the radar. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe they grew five inches in a year or something and were, was just wrecking shop before people transferred, yep. you know, but to do it at Oklahoma, that, that is insane. Yeah. Craig, you just missed Craig's guess was 31. Um, if, if I hadn't have known before, I would have maybe guessed 50, you know, maybe 60, maybe somebody again in a small conference had done it, but. Triple digits? Come on, man. And and here's some more. Not we're not gonna make this into an Oklahoma or Courtney Paris show. I was just saw something else. She's actually an assistant at Oklahoma, by the way. She was a seventh overall pick and uh played from 20, 2009 to twenty twenty in the WNBA. And um so she had a long professional career, but she's she is at one point, I don't know if this is still in existence or still the case, but she was the only player in NCAA history to have 700 points, 500 rebounds, and 100 blocks in a season. So she she has a bunch of records. I mean, and and I did not realize that, but 112 double-doubles in a row is completely absurd. So 
that just blew my mind. Yeah, that that's insane, man. Uh, speaking of uh, big numbers and insane things, have you done your taxes yet, Chris? I, I still have not, and I feel like every day, and every day, my taxiety gets worse. I gotta say, every <laughs> yes, passing so, day. Do, do you know who can fix that? Who can handle that for you? It is our, yeah. our buddy Larry and uh, the, the Liberty Tax Team here in the Midlands area. Uh, we'll let you overcome your tax ID, 803-462-5576. I'm, I mean, I'm not even I'm not even going to lie, Chris. I'm kind of proud of that transition. Like, that that might be one of the best segues we've ever had here on the show. Um, the tax good. team at Liberty Tax locations in Irmo, Lexington, and Columbia. They're at 1123 South Lake Drive in Lexington, 7467 St. Andrews Road in Irmo, and then 551 St. Andrews Road in Columbia. Uh, locally owned and operated, virtual income tax prep, uh, in-person tax prep, and they're open late and on weekends for people like Chris and myself who have not yet done their taxes and need to get them done. So, yeah, check them out, 803-462-5576. Again, 803-462-5576. They say if you're listening to the radio or doing something on audio, that you have to hear the number like 10 times before you remember it. So 803-462-5576. Give them a call. Chris, um, we haven't talked about men's basketball. Great, you know, Mike gave some great thoughts there. Five guys now in the transfer portal that were scholarship guys. I guess technically it's now six because a walk-on has entered the portal now too. Um, By the time you hear this, there may be another is the way this has gone so far. but. I got to say, man, if you're going to make the move, if you're going to go away from Frank, if you're going to say, hey, we're firing this guy, we're bringing somebody else in, if we're saying, hey, we're going to we're gonna do this, it's time, it's time, get rid of Frank, fire Frank, Frank's done, I'm done with Frank. Guess what? This, this, is, this is modern sports. This is what you're dealing with. When you say it's time to move on from Frank Martin, you're dealing with the repercussions, right? Mm-hmm. And – if you didn't expect there to be transfers, if you didn't expect there to be a lot of transfers, you were living up there in the clouds somewhere because I think when you make a move like this, man, this is the result. Like, it was it was always going to be fairly hard for Lamont Paris, and it has nothing to do with him. Don't mistake mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I think it has nothing to do with Paris. It has everything to do with Frank Martin being – a big personality, being a unique personality, and being a situation where a lot of these guys didn't just choose South Carolina to, quote, play at South Carolina. They chose to play for Frank Martin. They did. And I think, look, look back at last year, after a very difficult year at South Carolina, Frank Martin had, what what did it end up being? Seven transfers? I mean, it's like seven transfers last year. It was like most of the team. Yeah, it it was most of the team, and so they have a bunch go out and they bring a bunch in they bring in a freshman class like Devin Carter and so to a degree man you got you expect transfers anyway even if things are going very well in your program you'll have transfers if things are going so so you're probably going to have more and certainly a coaching change uh, you're going to see a lot and particularly with just with what you said some of these guys during recruiting or when they're on the team become very close with coaches on that staff, support staff, and with Frank Martin himself. So um, I think you got to know that as whether you're a fan or when you think to the decision-making process in this, you have to know and expect kind of almost the worst-case scenario. If you're going to blow up the basketball program, it's going to blow up. You're going to have players leave. 
there's going to be issues with, okay, now you got to go recruit. Now you got to hit the transfer portal. What this means, Wes, is I think a lot of us kind of wondered, okay, guys are going to leave, but how many and who, you know, probably more importantly, who, um, and then also, you know, that is going to probably have a direct or will have a direct correlation and tie in with how Lamont Paris approaches his own roster composition. So because of the number of guys that have left already and who those guys are, you now go from you got to recruit some high school players, but now you got to hit the portal. It's undoubted that you got to go hit the portal. That's how he constructed his last team at Chattanooga. I expect more of the same, at least for the early iterations of this Gamecock basketball team. Yeah, certainly, man. And um, I don't think he wants to go through what happened when he got his head coaching job for the first time at UTC, when they sort of just went the whole, hey, we're going to, it's going to be blown up. We're just going to build for the long term. You got to think it's going to be more like, like you just talked about the end of his time at, at Chattanooga where he said, look, we're going to hit the portal and we're going to try to win now because um, as Don Staley referenced, great fan base, passionate fan base, fan base that, uh, that will get behind you, but not the most patient fan base in the world. So you gotta, you gotta be self-aware. You gotta know where you're at. And you know, there, there's always going to be guys out there that you can go sign. I'm, I'm curious, Chris, uh, we, we know for Paris long-term, you know, three, four years, five years on down the road, recruiting in the state of South Carolina will be the the biggest key, in my opinion. Short term, it's going to be about can you can you go out and get some transfers that can come in and, and help you and at least give you a chance. Because let's remember, this was not an absolute mess of a program that South Carolina got rid of Frank Martin for. You know. This was a 500 team in SEC play last year. So there's going to be a certain amount of scrutiny, not necessarily for Lamont Paris, but for your decision makers when you blow this thing up when it was not a complete dumpster fire of a program. So I, that does, in my opinion, increase the pressure on Lamont Paris a bit um, not to just have a complete restart as far as the on-the-court results. I also, to, to give a big positive to Lamont Paris, the stuff he said about recruiting and getting after it and competing on that side of things. Um, if you look at Frank Martin's tenure at South Carolina, there were times, Chris, where he was a bit hard-headed and old school about going after in-state guys early in the process. How many times did it sort of look like Martin wanted to kind of evaluate, 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 and not just jump in on guys when then they you, you turn around, they have 10 SEC offers. So a little bit more modern approach maybe from Lamont Paris uh, being so heavily involved in recruiting. You are, you are fighting an uphill battle to get these in-state guys. But it'll be curious to see if a different approach um, – can have better results in that facet. Yeah, and I mean, one big question I have is what's the staff composition for Lamont Paris? Is it is it his guys from Chattanooga? Is it some of the guys from Chattanooga? Are there any guys that he brings on that have, you know, significant in-state ties? If so, maybe that helps. But no doubt he's got a tall order, and, and it is a good point. I mean, look, something that I've 
tried to be consistent in saying is that it was understandable, certainly why South Carolina would move on from Frank Martin. That was understandable. You could also argue the either way of, well, hey, they finally have some in-state traction. They have some pieces. They were 500 in conference play. The point is, to some fans, it may have been painfully obvious that this was a move that needed to be made or maybe needed to be made a couple years ago. You certainly argue that. But it's not like a Darren Horn situation. I mean, Horn had the good first year at South Carolina in 2008 and 9. Still got knocked out in the first round of the NIT, despite tying for first in their division. After that, they went that a losing record and went six and ten in conference, had another losing record and went five and eleven in conference. In the last year they were ten and twenty-one and won two conference games. Pretty obvious at that point, right? That's not quite the same. So you got to a point where anything that you I won't say anything, you could upgrade from Darren Horn and what what the results were at that point. Here it was maybe not as obvious of an upgrade. So you need to make sure that the maybe the gaps that were there for the Martin era, those are the things that you need to improve upon. And obviously, as you just laid out, Wes, recruiting is one of those areas that certainly could have been better. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point, man. You're there are some coaching changes. Like do you always hope you're upgrading? Of course. There are some coaching changes where you're just like, I have to make a change even if it ends up being just for sake of change, right? Like the program has gotten so bad. The fan base has gotten so over it. The fan base is so done that you just say, we'll roll the dice. Who cares if it blows up? This is not one of those. Now there are some people who have been done with Frank, you know, and, and you're going to have, you're going to open some doors to players, to prospects, to possibilities at least, because you got a guy with a different demeanor. You know, let's be honest. Did did some did the way Frank Martin carried himself on the court, whether you thought that was completely overblown or whether you thought that was the worst thing you've ever seen in your entire life? There are some people that wanted to be coached like that. There are some people that absolutely did not. So um, it, it's it's a completely different deal as far as recruiting. The other side is Lamont Paris doesn't have near as big of a name in basketball in the basketball communities. That's Frank Martin. You know, you took Frank Martin from a Power 5 school, a place where he had done very well at Kansas State. So there, there's all different variables in this thing. All we can do is sit back and watch and see how it plays out. Chris, It is al- we're almost at the hour mark, and we I even put it in our header that we were going to talk about South Carolina football today. So oh. at some point, we do need to talk about some South Carolina football. Shane Beamer will speak again on Tuesday. Um that's tomorrow if you're watching this live afternoon, uh, just to update how things are going as far as spring practice goes. You had some notes on um, in your insider's report on Gamecock Central today as well. And I'll give you the floor, man. What what do you what do you think people need to know? What do you think is the latest people would want to know about South Carolina spring football practice so far? As we inch closer, um, Let's see, this Saturday is is what, April 2nd? So this Saturday would be the two-week mark leading up to the Garnet Black Spring Game. Yeah, and I'm going to actually use Lynn Turner from Facebook. Thank you for listening and watching, Lynn. I will piggyback off that. I mean, not to, not to continue beating that drum, but people do want to hear about Spencer Rattler a lot, I think, for good reason. And so we have had, what, a couple – open media sessions west i think we've had a couple the next one is in about three days on march 31st i believe we'll get to see a few more periods of practice so um yeah i mean look 
We've seen a little bit. We've heard probably even more about Rattler and his impact. And I think that's where you've got to start. We are going to talk about Spencer Rattler a lot on this program because um, there's a lot to talk about there. And he's a very important guy with his talent level and playing the most important position on the field. So we've just continued to hear that he's acclimated well, whether you look at, you know, just him getting to Columbia, how he's fit in with the team, the kind of leadership he's shown, and also even things like transitioning to this new offense, working on going from a no-huddle offense that's pretty much exclusively shotgun to a more pro-style offense where you're huddling and you're under center more. Transition from what we've heard has gone very well. Another thing I've heard, Wes, is that this guy has just made some throws, attempted some throws in practice in those team settings that are kind of audacious. Like he brings an element to practice or he brings an element to the quarterback position that they have been missing. And this is a guy that can make you right on some busted plays and can really, really do some good things. So that'd be the starting point, just what we've heard about Spencer Rattler. I think Gamecock fans during the spring game when they get to watch are probably going to see some things that will impress them. Yeah, dude. The um, At some point it will be a broken record, but I think until people get to see it for themselves, um, you know, it, it is worth talking about. And I, I would say the key, the key factor in all this, man, has just, in my opinion, been the leadership and the, you know, the, the physical stuff we, I felt was pretty apparent that it was going to be there based on everything you've seen, you know, at Oklahoma, you see the videos on YouTube, all that stuff. But, you know, could he come in and sort of mesh, I guess, with teammates, mesh with the quarterback room, mesh with a a program in general? Um, It's always going to be a little bit of a question for a quarterback who's transferring in. And especially at a place, let's be honest, you've got one of the most likable guys on the entire team and Luke Doty, who is in that quarterback room as well. And so for for him to come in and, and really kind of just uh, mix in well, I, I believe, is is an excellent sign for South Carolina, an excellent sign for their offense. And I, I think if you are a Gamecock fan, you you can't put unrealistic expectations on this offense. Like, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, dare to dream that this is going to be like a top three offense in the SEC or anything like that. But I do think, Chris, the more we hear – um, uh, you know, the more we've seen here and here and there, the more I think you're allowed to feel much better about this offense than you did going into last year. Um, something you and I have both heard has been that Rattler has not only been open to all the under center stuff, but that he has actually um, really embraced that stuff and, and how it's a, a big part of what you're asked to do in the NFL. And so I think this is a highly different offense than what he was at at Oklahoma. That's pretty apparent. But I, I think he's completely bought in to some things he can do in this offense. So I, I for one, am kind of excited to watch the spring game. And I think when you look at the the weapons that he's going to have at his disposal, um, it's really just a much better situation than it was this time last year. This time last year, we didn't know if Josh Van was ready to emerge. We had heard great things about Jaheim Bell. We didn't know – against other teams if he was what we thought he was going to be. Um, Marshawn Lloyd, can you continue to hear very positive reports about Marshawn Lloyd coming on at practice? Antoine's, Antoine Wells is coming on. Xavier Leggett has had a good camp. There are just going to be more options there than, at least as far as proven options, than there were this time last year. 
Yeah, and I don't think you, like you said, they're not going to go from worst to first. Like, you don't need to expect that, and I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe a decent comp west would be like Kentucky last year, right? Um, there were some different things there uh, in terms of they get Will Levis, right? That's one. So they've got their trigger man um, who was very talented and played quite well. Then you've got – you know, you, you bring in the Nebraska transfer, Wandale Robinson, who's a really good playmaker. Now, they did overhaul their entire offense. So you may say, well, Chris, that South Carolina didn't change their scheme. They didn't change their offensive coordinator. True. South Carolina also pretty unique last year in that they started four different quarterbacks, right? Had a bunch of injuries. So the point is not, not the same comparison as Kentucky because of that scheme overhaul with Liam Cohen, but there are some other overhauls that have taken place, whether it's just having more bodies, more potential weapons, they will tweak some things schematically. Spencer Rattler lets them tweak things schematically, and he's a talent, right? That is just something that he will bring some things to the field that they have not had, whether it's been youth, talent, injuries, whatever, at the quarterback position. So, is it is it fair to expect them to show a decent market improvement? I think that is fair. That's that's an interesting comparison point, man. Um, I I just pulled up the SEC offensive numbers from last year, uh, points per game. Where where would you guess without looking that Kentucky was in the SEC last year? Yeah, twenty twenty one. That's a good question. I'm trying to run through the other mm, seventh. They're actually they're they're better than I thought they would be as well. They were fifth okay. in the SEC in scoring offense. Pretty dang South good. South Carolina, thirteenth ahead of Vandy, only. Um, so, and I was sitting there thinking, you know, Kentucky that that's probably very manageable for South Carolina to potentially get there. I didn't realize Kentucky was as good as they were. That was. It's actually all the more impressive. South Carolina's defense held them down. Now, there were some turnovers that helped, but they scored 32.3 points a game, did Kentucky. And um, the the interesting thing there, though, man, is you go back in 2020, the year before, Kentucky finished 11th in the conference, but they averaged 21.8 points a game only. South Carolina last year, 13th in the conference and added 22 average 22.6 points per game. So um, scoring was overall up a little bit in the conference as a whole for offenses. But um, I would dare say if South Carolina gets that uh, progress offensively, you're probably feeling pretty good, right? But I, I, I do think it, it is realistic. Is a realistic goal that will not be particularly easy to hit, but will be possible to hit. Yeah, and, th- and that look, that's the type of jump that this team, in my opinion, is still very early. A lot to learn about South Carolina, a lot to learn about other teams that they're going to be playing. But this is the kind of jump that they need to go beat Kentucky, who we're talking about, to go beat Missouri, to be able to fend off Vandy, go beat Florida again, you know, those types of things they'll need that improvement. They're not going to be able to sit at where they were last year with scoring, you know, absolutely scratching out 21, 22 points a game. And, okay, now let's go win nine games. You're not going to be able to do that, in my opinion, this year. So, you know, adding – I mean, that that jump Kentucky made, 
I'm almost surprised it wasn't more. I think now you got to go, but who did they play both years? How many points did they score? But to me, they seemed light years better. You know, the South Carolina game probably skewed their statistics because they turned the ball over so much, but they could run the ball. They had a downfield passing attack for the first time since we can remember with Kentucky. Aside from the statistical impact, they were just so much better. And I think that's what we need to get through this 2022 season, look back at it and say, here's South Carolina stats. They were a lot better. But even more than that, they moved the chains. They kept the offense on the field. They kept the defense off the field. They flipped the field. That's the things that, aside from not scoring this offense, way too many three and outs, way too many awful field positions. Even those things that may not show up statistically in scoring, that's what they've got to get much better at. And Spencer Rattler and some of these other things, it may help them get there. Definitely, man. Uh, so I think I think that's all we got. Is that all you got? That's all I got. You good? That's all Chris I got. Said yes. Um, we are we are over the hour mark, and uh, my Wi-Fi is trying to go out again too. So I think that's our sign. We appreciate everyone for joining us. As always, appreciate everybody in the chat. Uh, got several of our loyal chatters uh, chatting away. SC Scout guy Craig, uh, Lynn. Um, Gamecock Ryan, Phil, Travis Edwards, um, let's see, T. Thompson in there as well. So I know I missed some folks, but appreciate y'all. Uh, go uh, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, hit the subscribe button on YouTube, by the way. It's completely free, and uh, it'll help you get alerts whenever we go live or whenever Mike or whoever else posts new videos. For Chris, I'm Wes. Uh, we'll see you all soon on GC Live, and we'll see you all soon on GamecockCentral.com. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.